Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the Week 12 college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. The season has flown by. We're going to go through Saturday, the last massive Saturday slate of the season since next week is kind of broken out to Friday and Saturday. How did we get here already? It feels like it's flown by. But there is something about this weekend. I just feel like there's something in the air where we're going to get some crazy upsets. There are just teams that have six wins, seven wins, are comfortable with their position. There are teams sitting on four wins that need these weekends, and they're, you know, double-digit underdogs. We got some upsets coming this weekend. Ten years ago to the day, number one Kansas State, believe it or not, went down 52-24 to to Baylor at home. Baylor was under 500 at the time. And number two, Oregon went down 17 to 14 at home to Stanford in overtime. Ten years ago today, number one and number two lost. Easier matchups this week, but you never know for the top, but you never know in college football. All right, let's let's dive right in. We're gonna get to 25 games total. We will get to Saturday in just a moment. We'll go through the marquee games, go quick rundown. Talk a bunch of other games. I have a ton of trash. It's the last big Saturday slate, so you know I'm coming full of trash for my people. Uh, then we will get into our best bets, favorite favorites, which last week you you almost got off the schneid, and there was a Hail Mary by Rutgers. Unbelievable. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then our favorite underdog money lines. But let's start out with Friday Night Lights. It is a light Friday night slate. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. 
We have two games, South Florida at Tulsa. Tulsa's a 13.5-point favorite, over under 58. And then we have San Diego State at New Mexico. New Mexico, a 14-point home underdog, over under 36.5. You know, I think I would like South Florida if I could get over two touchdowns, maybe live. I think they're still fighting. I think they can have some success on the ground. And I'm not sure where Tulsa's at mentally lost that game to Memphis, which knocked them out of full contention. They're three and seven. So, you know, another playing lowly South Florida, who is one of the worst secondaries in the country, but they look like they were playing for their interim coach last year. Was that just last week? Was that just a one week bump? Does Tulsa kind of take out their frustrations, in their final home game, or are they flat? Uh, how healthy is Davis Brin? A lot of questions in this game. What do you see here? To me, there's one team that's playing hard and there's one team that's not. I mean, South Florida may be one and nine on the season, but Tulsa is tanking. I mean, they've just won one game in their last seven. They haven't covered since September. And Tulsa's off a loss in Memphis where the game was stopped multiple times because of on-field fighting. I don't know where the headspace is on this team. And you look at the Bulls, I mean, they're going to turn to Byron Brown to start. He has just five passing attempts this season. He's a three-star pro-style quarterback. He had offers from ODU, UCF, Georgia State. Not really sure where we're getting at the quarterback position from South Florida. He did lead the Bulls to a TD on the last drive, which I think is why you saw some steam on the Bulls from 14 early in the week on this point spread. South Florida is you know, generally a run team, 56% rush rate. The question is, will Davis Brin even play? Uh, he so comes out. He got benched. I mean, but their offensive line was dreadful too. Against benched, ineffectiveness, shoulder injury. Uh, we're not sure what's going on there with Braylon Bra- Braxton comes in. He's been terrible. Like he has not contributed in the ground like I thought he could. And he's only completing half of his passes the last two games. It's just been a non-factor. So I make this game 11. South Florida is the only team out of this game that's giving effort in the last couple of weeks. Maybe it is the interim. Maybe his kids are playing for pride. They're the only ones giving effort. They covered Houston and Cincy within the last five games. So it's going to be 31 degrees at Skelly Field here in town. I know people think that's really cold for Florida people. But at the same time, I've been working all day with my window open. I don't think it's that cold. So uh, I think it's going to be a slow start, but at the same time, I think South Florida is the only one you can play in this game because they're the only one that's trying lately. The other game on Friday night, we'll get to talk about your San Diego State total earlier in the show than usual. San Diego State at New Mexico, New Mexico, 14, 14 and a half, underdog at home, over under 36 and a half. You know, you got to have a bad offense if you're a 14 and a half point home underdog with a total of 36 and a half. Are we back to San Diego State overs? Well, we are. The problem is, is that over for the full game requires New Mexico to score some points, and I'm not sure that they can. So I went on Green Dot Daily earlier today and said that I'm taking San Diego State team total over, but this thing keeps crashing. This The side and the total is crashing, and I think San Diego State is going to roll here, and Jalen Madden has been great at starting quarterback. He has made offensive coordinator Jeff Heklinski change the way that San Diego State runs their offense. They were more of a run-first play action, deep verticals, and now they've changed to short passing and they're allowing uh, Jalen Maiden to run uh, as much as he wants. He's had at least three scrambles in every game. Uh, It's really given a lot of teams problems. And the results are there for themselves. Four wins, a narrow four-point loss to Fresno out of their last five games. They're averaging 25 points per game over the last month. And San Diego State is just, you know, playing an offense suited for their new quarterback. Now think about this. When you look at San Diego State's team total, which I think could drop another point before we get to Friday night because the total keeps going down. There's only one team on New Mexico's schedule that scored less than 27 points. One team, and that was New Mexico State. Every other team on that schedule scored at least 27. So I'm waiting. Let that number keep crashing. 36 right now as you and I record. 
I'll take a team total lower on San Diego State as close as we get. Mexico, uh, one of the most underrated safeties in college football, who I think is actually going to end up playing on Sundays. That's the only thing that I could say good about New Mexico. <laughs> and when when you play them, they will score for the other team, which has ultimately kept me off of, you know, they'll turn it over, they'll throw pick sixes, they'll they took out a kick to the one and by accident and then just like fell down at a start from the one punt block for touchdowns. Like you name it, they're helping out the other team. I feel bad for that defense, but yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I don't mind the uh, San Diego state team total over. And I do think it's South Florida or nothing, but pretty ugly Friday night slate. Saturday is quite the opposite. It is rivalry week the start of rivalry of, you know, eight days of we get a bunch of rivalry games some this weekend some next weekend what do they call this saturday i forget what they call this one it's no longer 10 horn it used to be 10 horn i know yeah and they run through our ass like shit through a 10 horn man and we could not stop them let's start with a little look ahead or look away hangovers sleepers and the dreaded sandwich spot is it time to look ahead or look away Let's go through five games. This, these are where we look at what happened last week, what what the schedule looks like next week for any potential situational handicapping angles. We'll talk a lot about motivation next week in particular when we're talking about bowls and who's eligible, who's not, but still matters this week. Let's start with – we'll start with Michigan-Ohio State who play next weekend. So will either of them get caught kind of peeking ahead? Let's start with michigan they will host Illinois. They're an 18 point favorite over under 41 on the surface. I, you know, historically it's been profitable to back these big dogs in conference games with totals this low. But the question is how can Illinois move the ball? Tommy DeVito has been really ineffective over the past couple of weeks and their bell cow is Chase Brown who leads the country in rushing, but his status is very much in doubt. And if he does play, I'm not sure it'll be hundred percent. And they like to feed him as much as any back in the country. The other on the other side of the ball, it's okay. How much? What can Blake Corm do against this Illinois defense that I think is starting to show some cracks in the trenches? I'm not sure how much success they'll have throwing it, and that ultimately might hold Michigan back. Not necessarily in this game, but big picture wise, McCarthy's really struggled over the past couple of weeks. Sub 50 percent completion percentage. There have been some wide receiver drops, and he'll be facing an Illinois secondary that has some dudes: Witherspoon, Martin, and Brown. They can cover. So I think this comes down to. You know, Illinois wants to just grind this down to running teams. They want to feed Chase Brown, but he might not be available. And what can Michigan do on the ground? And can they have any success through the air? How do you see this playing out? Yeah, if Chase Brown is not 100% healthy or even halfway, you know, if he's not going to be playing in this game or if he's not healthy, that's going to get Illinois into passing downs real fast. And that means there's going to be more passing attempts. There's going to be less clock drain. That means there's going to be more overall possessions in this game. And for that reason alone, the total has just been whacked because of the weather, right? We're talking cold and then 20 mile an hour sustained winds that kind of run diagonal uh, up there in Ann Arbor from end zone to end zone. And so you have to ask yourself, is that too strong of a win for Michigan to open it up from a passing perspective? But you mentioned that Michigan like needs to get their passing attack going. I don't think that they're holding back like and waiting for Ohio State. That's just something you have to get in sync on. 
So if you're going to get multiple possessions here, they haven't been allowed to throw either. Nebraska was filled with precipitation. The Wolverines ran the ball 50 times. They never opened up the passing playbook whatsoever. They're going to have to learn to play in bad weather if they want to throw the ball and beat Ohio State because that is the point of attack is getting behind the defense. And think about this too. Think about the psychology behind this. Jim Harbaugh probably wants to put on film plays that he is not going to use against Ohio State. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's trickeration, if there's passing plays we'll never see again, if there's throwaway plays. I think we've seen everything on the ground from these guys. I just wouldn't be surprised to see Michigan taking shots. I'm sure they want to get McCarthy in a rhythm, too, after the last uh, yeah, couple of weeks. Absolutely. And Illinois is outside the top 100 and defensive standard downs explosiveness. That is really bad against Michigan because they are explode. They explode and first and second down. They are on point with the keeping in early downs, never falling behind the chains. Uh, Illinois defense for everything that they are, they're not very good at stopping big chunk plays and standard down. So I think there could be some quick scores from Michigan. I think Illinois is going to be in passing downs real fast without Chase Brown around. That's going to lead me to extra possessions and extra plays means extra points. So I'm going over. Uh, you know, 41 is very key. So I, I would try to get that one. Yeah, I would like Illinois, I think, here if I knew that Chase Brown was 100% healthy. Uh, he's he's so good. And he what he would do, you know, he'll, he'll, he would probably break a couple runs, but success on first down, success on second down, pick up some third and shorts, just keep the clock moving, keep Michigan off the field. Well, Without not, him, as you mentioned, like they're going to be in passing downs, and I don't think that's going to end well. I think a vanilla game plan on, on defense, not show blitz packages, and then on offense, you got to do something, get deep, maybe throw away plays in the passing game. So I, I just like the over here for a lot of reasons. Yeah, one thing that we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on Michigan-Ohio State next week, one of the most difficult things, and also with them going into the college football playoff too, is the lack of data points for both of these teams. Like the Michigan defense, right, like over the first – you know, two months, the only competent offense they faced, and it hasn't looked competent late, we're going to talk about him second, is Maryland, who put up 27. You know, then they dominate Penn State. That's pretty much it. I mean, like, they played Rutgers, Nebraska's backup quarterback. They might play Illinois without Chase Brown. And Penn State, was that just like, okay, we know how Penn State can be Jekyll and Hyde. So, yeah, these Michigan's schedule has been so easy. It's hard to get a read. You know, their defense is obviously really good, but I'm talking about, like, okay, can it go and match up with – Ohio State, if they get into the college football playoff, other teams. So that'll be an interesting handicap next week. But let's move on to the other game. Uh, Ohio State will travel to Maryland, 27 and a half point road favorite, over under 62 and a half. Really fascinating game to break down because Maryland's offense, which had a ton of potential, flashed it at times, you know, at Michigan uh, early in the season. But then Tagovailoa got hurt. He came back. Back. He missed the game. He came back, and he's been a shell of himself. The offenses just looked absolutely miserable, and he looks hesitant. He's pulling it, the ball down and not trusting his protection, and the offense has been broken. They've scored 10 total points over the past two games. I know they went up against an elite Penn State secondary, but what did he throw for, 50 yards last week? Now, the other thing to keep in mind is the weather hasn't been great in their past two games, but uh, and they might get their their offensive guard, Lunsford, back, who's pretty important to their protection. But, man, the offense has been bad. Can they find it? Can they rally here? Because the Maryland defense has actually been better than I had thought coming into the season. On the surface, this line is too high, especially if I could get 28. I might have to take it. But after seeing the Maryland offensive output the past two weeks, it's – 
very scary. And again, with Ohio State, it's like the lack of data points that we have to really know just how good they are. It, it, it's difficult. What do you see here? You're right. The number should be 23 and a half. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The number should be 22 and a half. It should not be as high as it is. And I already had hesitations with this Ohio State team in the first place. I've been saying for weeks that C.J. Stroud is not what we think that he is as a Heisman contender. I put out a fun trend out there on Twitter. Since 2009, Ohio State's covered just twice in week 11 uh, for overlooked at Michigan. For those reasons, it's kind of fun to throw that really small sample size trend out there. But a lot of questions here with the Buckeyes, right? They're expected to get some reps from Travion Henderson, from Mayan Williams coming back from injuries. And we just talked about how Michigan needs J.J. McCarthy to be in sync. Well, <laughs> Ohio State needs these running backs uh, to be ready to go for Michigan. So how many reps will they get? I guess we'll see. And Ohio State dominated Indiana completely clear. I mean, it is the Indiana secondary. And his favorite target by far is Marvin Harrison Jr. He got targeted 12 times. If you look at the next three targets, Julian Filming, Cade Stover, and Emeka Egbuka, they had 12 targets, right? So Marvin Harrison Jr. is getting the lion's share of all this. And he is the most – I just filled out my Belentikoff – like, you know, what is it, pre-nominee uh, getting ready for the, the finals and the voting? Yeah, I, I had Marvin Harrison Jr. at the top, and it was because he's, you know, one of the most explosive wide receivers at 3.4 yards per route run. So, I mean, he's a sight to watch. And Maryland does have two players in the secondary that rank highly in coverage grading. Maryland, I couldn't believe this when I read it, but Maryland is second nationally in defensive pass expected points. And yeah, they're one of the most underrated defenses that people don't think is good in the country. Right. And teams are scoring on Ohio State with sustained drives. So if I flip to the other side and I want to back Maryland here because I do and the numbers inflated, teams are scoring with sustained drives. Indiana had four drives and scored 14 points. That's pretty average. I throw out Northwestern. There was some bad weather there. But Penn State, we remember we got the cover there and Sean Clifford did everything to give it away. They scored 24 points on five trips past the 40. And that might be the most prolific offense that Ohio State has had to go up against. So there's serious issues here for me with Ohio State. So stuck right as I got to the moment to submit the bet on Maryland, I went over to a book, a very big book that uh, is out there for everybody that does look ahead lines and it has Michigan plus eight. So let's talk about that line next week. Right now, if that game was played this week, I would make that seven. SP plus would make that game four and a half. I can't see anything happening with Michigan, Illinois, that is going to make that thing float above a touchdown. So I was happy to take Michigan plus well, unless eight. Illinois wins, unless Illinois wins. I'm not betting on it, uh, especially with Chase Brown. Right. So I took a Michigan plus eight look ahead line. Uh, that is sort of a bet you can make with these two look ahead lines for the biggest game on the docket next week. Yeah, I'm probably going to be on Maryland here. I'm going to well, take a little more. I just want to get some confidence that Tagovailoa is going to be that he's just going to be a little bit more confident back there in the pockets. It's coming back from injury. He's got a couple games under his belt. The weather hasn't helped. The town is there on that offense. So, yeah, I, d- I definitely think that this this number is inflated and Maryland is the side. Crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. <laughs> All right, let's move on to your boys, Arkansas, who will host Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, this is a really tough spot for Ole Miss. They are coming off just kind of a heartbreaking loss to Alabama. They, Lane Kiffin really could have got Nick Saban there. It also ruined their chances of winning the division and getting to the SEC title game. They have the Egg Bowl coming up on Friday. And Arkansas, meanwhile, is still fighting for bowl eligibility. I love Arkansas here. I love the effort that they showed last week. 
there was they should have won that game. I think they graded out as a winner. Look at post game web is basically a coin flip, but without KJ Jefferson and the backup quarterbacks, there was obviously uh, a major drop off in that game. And you know, look, they should get. You'll talk more about the injuries, but you know, I think maybe Slush will be back. Maybe the right tackle Dalton Wagner will be back, but. I think Jefferson starts. You've talked about the uncertainty around that. You know, he's been practicing. Pittman said he's healthy, expects him to play. That doesn't mean he definitely will, but I think he will. And here's why. He's a Mississippi kid. He talked in the offseason about wanting to beat the Mississippi schools. That's like, he did, he said, I want to beat Mississippi and Mississippi State. Like, he said that. People, usually you get like a bullshit answer. I want to beat every team on the schedule. But Mississippi State blew out Arkansas. Jefferson was hurt for that game. Now... He gets Ole Miss, a team that he lost to last year by one in a game where he was Superman. He had six touchdowns. They lost a two-point conversion. I, I think he wants this game. I think he plays. Ole Miss, Kiffin looked deflated last week. I, I think this is just a great sp- spot to back Arkansas. And uh, if you look at Arkansas, they've been just so unfortunate in close games. They have five losses. Two came with Jefferson on the sidelines. One last week by three to LSU. All the games are in limbo in the fourth quarter. I think they're undervalued here. And Sammy covers 13 and six against the spread as an underdog, 68% covering by about five points per game, nine and three against the spread against top 20 teams, including seven and oh, if you remove all the games against Alabama and Georgia. Go Hogs. I like the Hogs here. I'm just waiting. There's no rush. I'm waiting to see if a three will ever pop, but I'll be on Arkansas here. Do you agree? Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. I absolutely agree. I know it's going to be cold, 30 degrees, but I don't think that matters. It's going to be a trench battle. Everyone's going to have their heartbeat pumping. The sweat's going to be going. You're not going to be cold once you get a series in. Fayetteville has been a house of horrors for Ole Miss. The Rebels have covered once in the last nine trips. They've only won once in their last 10 trips. So, you know, essentially the last 20 years through Houston nut through Hugh freeze. I mean, it's kind of been a nightmare for them to come up to Fayetteville and yeah, KJ, it finally got slipped. One one of the assistant coaches or maybe even a grad assistant, somebody said on radio and it got floated around the message boards that KJ Jefferson's real injury is a separated shoulder and that this is the healthiest that he has been. And the reason why he hasn't been playing is because he's not able to throw on first down, second down, third down, and we knew that that was the problem against Liberty, that he could not hit anybody. He was over everybody. He, could, he, he wasn't even getting close. And now that the separated shoulder is kind of out there, it's rumored, although it did come from somebody that was on radio, um, you know, Pittman is saying that he's the healthiest he's ever been. Now, Dalton Wagner was a big re- – it's a big, big loss off the offensive line last week uh, that LSU, you know, tried to expose – uh, but he is going to be playing, and that's a big bump for the offensive line. So two big reasons there. Like if KJ Jefferson, I'm not sure if you can take bumps off your shoulder with a separated shoulder, but if KJ is going to play, it's not going to be a throw. It's going to be to try to bull people over. And forcing these offenses into passing downs is the key to victory for both of them, right? Because Jackson Dart, Lane doesn't want him to throw, and obviously we don't want KJ throwing with a separated shoulder. So Ole Miss has struggled when they miss the 200 rushing yard mark. Miles Slusher is returning. They've taken him off the scout team. Pittman's done, you know, get with his punishment. He is back on the defense. He is a, a, a great Swiss Army knife that can play a bunch of different positions in the back seven. Uh, that's a boost for Arkansas. And then this Arkansas defense has quietly, I'm not looking at the season numbers anymore on Arkansas's defense. They're bad. But what they've done in the last few games 
really deserves, you know, recognition here. LSU was held to 13 points and, and on five trips past the 40-yard line. The Razorbacks were great when they had their backs pinned up against the wall. Liberty was shut out defensively in the second half with Auburn. Now, remember this. You need to stop the Ole Miss rush. So when you go look at Auburn, you take out the one single explosive run that Robbie Ashford had and that Tank Bigsby has, and here's their numbers. Ashford, 18 rushes for 53 yards. Tank Bigsby, 10 rushes for 22 yards. You throw out Tank's one big explosive run, 10 rushes for 22 yards. They are stopping the run. Teams are not scoring in the second half. The defense is fundamentally playing better. There's 11 hats around the ball tackling. I am all in on Arkansas here. They're going to win it outright. All right. Yeah, finally, I'm on the same page with Arkansas. I completely agree. Woo pig suey. Woo pig suey. If you're sitting out there and you're seeing a two, I'm going to wait to see if three pops. I, I don't think it's going to get there. I might buy I might buy it. Uh, Buy it to three. We'll see. But I'll be, we'll be on Arkansas no matter what. Quick game here. Cincinnati at Temple. Cincinnati coming off that ECU win. I continue to not be really impressed with them. They have a huge game in the American with uh, Tulane next week. So going to Temple is a potentially little sleepy spot here since he's a 17-point road favorite over under 50 and a half. You got anything here? Yeah, I was going to bet Temple, but I want to kind of wait to the podcast, kind of pick your brain on this one, because Cincinnati has not covered a game away from Nippert this season. They're 0-4-1 against the spread on the road. And Temple has no shot at a bowl, so you think that they would just kind of roll over and let everybody, you know, steamroll them. But they have covered four straight, including Houston last week. The effort you're looking at for a team that is not going to have a postseason, I guess they're playing like this is their bowl, right? And the Owls are 27th in coverage grading. That's a really good number to have against Ben Bryant, who was awful against East Carolina. He had three turnover-worthy plays, and he only had like seven pressures and only one drop from the wide receivers. Like, this is all on Ben Bryant. He's just he's not been very good with his accuracy whatsoever. And to push the ball on the Cincy defense, you have to have a passing game. And East Carolina and, and Central Florida each got 240 in the air on Cincinnati. So the question is, can Temple replicate that? Hey, they're coming off two games, 480 passing yards against Houston, 344 passing yards on South Florida. Temple's playing really good ball right now. So, you know, I mean, we could take them and and, and fear that the, the EJ Warner uh, fumbles and interceptions are coming. But, you know, not handicapping injuries or turnovers. Temple should cover this game. I completely agree. Uh, Temple is the side here for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not a great spot. Cincinnati. I have not been impressed with them. I still think that they're, you know, kind of resting on their laurels of last year in the market. And there's a reason they just have not been great against the number. And when you look at Cincinnati this year, like they were supposed to, their offensive line was supposed to be a strength of the offense after everything that they lost. Then they had some injuries, moving some guys around. It's not been great. Uh, I mean, they're like 82nd in uh, sack rate. And they haven't been able to run the ball. I mean, they are, I think, I, I have them outside, the bottom 10 nationally in rush success rate. Uh, 93rd in EPA per rush. They can't run the ball. That's how you attack this Temple team. Temple has an excellent secondary, and they also get pressure. They have, you know, one of the best defensive ends at the group of five level. They're second nationally in passing down sack rate, fourth overall. So they can get pressure on Bryant. Yeah, I think it's this number's inflated, and I think Temple's the side. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to bet it right now. 
it's one of those things like you and I have to go in this together because we're going to be tweeting the hoot owls head spinning around or it's going to be six turnovers and we look like bums. So who, who are you fucking owl? A live podcast that here. Yeah, we only have so many more opportunities to tweet owl gifts. Yeah, because it's not going to be rice. All right. Uh, let's move on to the final game. UAB at LSU. LSU obviously coming off that win against Arkansas the week before that. They beat Alabama. Next week, they'll have Texas A&M, although I don't think anyone can even get up for Texas A&M anymore. But still, this is a, a bad spot for an LSU team that I think is overvalued in the market. They're they're they're, they're young. They're, you know, and it's a first-year coach, and there's still some inconsistencies. Everyone just remembers this Alabama win. You know, they also got blown out by Tennessee. They should have lost at Auburn, one of the luckiest wins of the year. They should have lost to Arkansas. And on the flip side, I think UAB is sort of the – they are the Arkansas group of five. So what I mean by that is they've lost a number of really close games. They're five and five. This is their Super Bowl. They can't win the conference title. They're playing for bowl eligibility and to win this game. And they've also had – they've lost a couple of games with their backup quarterback starting, similar to Arkansas. And <clears throat> a lot of their losses I actually graded as wins, and they were really unlucky in the turnover department in both. But I actually think – so I think UAB can cover this number. I know, The one thing that scares me is they haven't been great in this spot when they go up against SEC teams. But, you know, Dwayne McBride, their running back, is averaging just under seven yards per carry. Methodical run-heavy offense. I think they can have some success running against LSU. They're outside the top 100 in EPA per rush. And UAB on the other side of the ball is an excellent defense. I have them ranked the top 35 nationally. Secondary is just nails. They shut down every pass. They actually can match up and at least contain these LSU receivers. The run defense does have some holes, but they've done a good job against mobile quarterbacks, which is big against Jaden Daniels. Look, the this LSU team, it's at, at night, at home, in Death Valley, 41 and 45 against the spread past 15 years at home at night. I think it's that gets a little overinflated. I like UAB catching over two touchdowns here. Yeah, it's so funny when I hear people telling me about home field advantage and LSU. Like, <laughs> we do a home field advantage piece here at the Action Network. It uses mathematics, and it's not that high for them, uh, even at night. Listen, uh, I think the number is a little bit short. I mean, just by like a point or two, but UAB is back to full strength. You you need just one win to get to a bowl. You do have Law Tech next week, which could help you do that, but you could also do it here with an upset of LSU. And when I say they're healthy – Dwayne McBride is full speed at running back 120 yards and three TDs last week against North Texas. They just slapped North Texas around last week. Like that spread was what five and a half. And I think we had it on BBOC. Like they just slapped around North Texas. Like it was, wasn't even close, but I stepped back because you kind of mentioned what my problem is. And that is when Bill Clark was over this team forever, they didn't go max effort with great G5 teams, really great rosters that won conference titles, right? And when you got spreads like this, they never came close. And specifically, I'm talking about 2021 Georgia. They lost 56 Florida, to 7. There was a Florida game. 20, yeah, 2020 Miami, 31 to 14. 2019 Tennessee, 30 to 7. And then finally, one game I know I bet pretty hard on UAB was 2018 against Texas A&M, 41 to 20, they lost that game. So it just was never in Bill Clark's wheelhouse to step up to these power five programs and try to get a cover or try to upset because UAB has never done it ever. And if you look at Brian Vincent, the new head coach, I mean, he is a direct disciple of Bill Clark. If they're just, hey, we're going to practice for Law Tech next week and whatever happens in with LSU happens, then they're going to get waxed. 
That's my scare. Yeah, the reason I don't think that that happens, and I thought about that, that's why, why I brought it up, is that one, they're usually in the running for a conference title, right? Which isn't the case this year. They're still fighting for bowl eligibility, and this now becomes like their Super Bowl. So I think that they'll they'll actually go all out here against LSU. LSU's been vulnerable times this year. They've been really inconsistent. All right, it's time to move on to the marquee games of the day. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 12. All right, we got four marquee games. Let's start with one that will have college football playoff implications and potentially Big 12 title implications. TCU at Baylor. Baylor's a two and a half point underdog over under 57. So all the TCU fans. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. That are tuning in know that I'm probably going to say the bet failure, but maybe you shouldn't listen to me when I say fade TCU. I've, I've bet TCU twice this year. I'm 2-0. I faded them four times. I'm 0-4. But when I go back and look, now look, last week was just dead wrong. TCU was the right side, deserved winner, deserved cover. But I didn't mind any of the other Three bets, you know, took a Hail Mary, quarterback injuries that I faded TCU. They get credit for last week, but they still have the same issues that we've talked about all season. And I, I've heard people on Twitter say that sometimes it's just your year. Could be. If they keep getting all the breaks, could be maybe their year. But that doesn't mean I have to bet that that's their year. Now, I do think there comes a point when everyone's like, they're a, they're a fraud so are they really a fraud if everyone is saying it? So it's not like I absolutely think that they should be like a seven-point underdog here. But I do make this game a true coin flip. I like Baylor for a number of reasons. I was able to get a three minus 110. I would cheap three if you can buy it too or wait for the three. I do think Baylor wins this game. It's just we've talked about all the breaks TCU has gotten at now, so we don't need to revisit that. But they're also playing their ninth big game in a row. And historically – Production does decline. Output does go down. And that's not factoring in when you consider that they've played nine big games in a row. Started with a rivalry game on the road against SMU. And then the Big 12 schedule. There's no breaks in the Big 12 schedule. So it is tough to just keep getting up for these games. Baylor is, I mean, this is just a classic situational spot. Even if I love TCU, I'd be on Baylor here. Regardless, they got embarrassed last week. You should get their best effort. I think their defense actually matches up pretty well. TCU's defense still has issues. 
their offense, look, was just beating up on horrific defenses all year. They didn't do much last week. I think they're a little banged up, and I, I think Baylor gets this done in a reversal of roles. Last year, TCU as an underdog beat Baylor, upset them as, I think, seven-and-a-half-point underdogs at home, ended Baylor's dreams of going to the college football playoff. I think Baylor does the same here, although TCU maybe still has a shot if they then win out. For what it's worth, Dave Aranda, 5-0 and against the spread as an underdog against top 15 teams, covering by 13 points per game. That includes four consecutive outright wins over the past two seasons against the 4th, 5th, 8th, and 14th ranked teams. I think Baylor is the spot here. Baylor is the spot. This is a huge letdown spot. And and I remember when we did our Big 12 preview over the summer, I said, I like TCU to win the Big 12. My issue is their bye week is so early in the season. How are they going to feel towards the end of the year? Sonny Dykes gets up to the podium in his presser about, I am so glad we have finalized our spot in the Big 12 championship game. And then he made comments about how we've played a huge number of games in a row. Like <laughs> they wanted to get over this Texas hump so bad. Uh, I think the entire team has just been thinking about it, talking about it. They achieved so many things in one shot down in Austin. And I think this is a spot where they're just going to be completely deflated. It's not like they're playing great offensive football the last few weeks. They've had a lot of like consecutive drives without points. Now, Dave Aranda, he's been able to get Baylor to respond off a loss. He's 4-1 and one against the spread since the beginning of last season when they lose. And the Bears' rush explosiveness with Richard uh, Richard Reese, he's a true freshman there, that's the key to this game because TCU, even though they've improved to seven, they still give up a ton of explosive rush. Richard Reese is tied with Kendra Miller for most rushing TDs in the Big 12. It shows you how important he is to this game and to this team. Listen, Blake Shapin, he's been hit or miss each game. Uh, we saw the last time he saw a 3-3-5 stack, which is what TCU runs with Joseph Gillespie. The last time he saw that was against Iowa State. He threw three touchdowns, no interceptions against the Cyclones. Uh, I don't think Shapin's going to have a problem reading this defense whatsoever. We're hoping we get a good Baylor here because this is definitely a down spot for TCU. Yeah, there's Jekyll and Hyde Baylor. They're not an easy team to figure out. So knowing TCU, they're going to get the bad Baylor, but I think it's just too good of a spot, and there's some line value here that you got to back the Bears. Sick them. All right, let's move on to our second marquee game of the day. Georgia at Kentucky. Kentucky's a 22.5-point home underdog. Over-under is 49. Ah, oh, man, my my cats and just a sad loss last week at home to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt under the 26-game SEC losing streak, and it's been really bad for Kentucky over the past few weeks. Georgia obviously is taking care of business all season. Have shown, I think they obviously have the best resume of any team in all of college football, and uh, are until further notice are the defending champs and the best team in college football. Look, I, I like the under here. I I like it sitting at forty nine or now. Like the under. I'd like it down to 48 and I don't understand why it's this high. I don't understand why Kentucky totals are as high as they've been all year. This is a great buy low spot on Kentucky. I'm not doing it. I don't trust their offense. I don't know how they'll score Kentucky unders this year, by the way, are nine and one. The one game that went over, I, I lost by a half point, lost by a half point. Northern Illinois scored a touchdown on the final play of the first half. And they scored in the final minute of the game after a fourth down bullshit, pass interference on Kentucky. That's what it took for Kentucky game to go over. 
This offense is completely broken. They can't block. They can't run the ball. They lost all those offensive linemen. They lost their offensive line coach. They just haven't been able to figure it out. Uh, this offensive line is an absolute disaster. Will Levis has been disastrous as well. I mean, last year they were last year they were top five in line yards, opportunity rate, stuff rate. This year, seventy eighth in line yards, one hundred and second in opportunity rate, one hundred and eighth in stuff rate. Their sack rate's also gone from fifty fourth to one hundred and twenty ninth. Levis had threw for 12 yards in the second half against Vanderbilt secondary, one of the worst secondaries in power five. They averaged 5.2 yards per carry last year with the same exact backfield this year. That's six. That was 16th in the country this year. 3.5. That's 110th. The offense is bad. I don't know how they're going to move it here. They're going to come out. They're going to play slow. It's one of the slowest teams in the country. I think actually maybe the slowest they're going to try to run it a ton short in this game. There's a reason stoops unders. Uh, in conference games are 50 and 30. That's 62 and a half, including eight in a row have hit to the under. Previous three meetings, Georgia won 21 nothing, 14-3, and 30-13 to when Kentucky scored on the final play of the game to cover. There also could be some wind here. It's going to be cold. I, th- I think this is under in an ugly game. Yeah, the only play here is the under, and that's just been steamed and hit so hard this week from 54 down to 48 and a half, and – Listen, these two coaches against each other, Kirby Smart and Mark Stoops, they don't mind it being low scoring. 43 points last year, 17 in 2020, 21 to 0 in 2019. Stoops is happy in the zone defense, keeping Georgia targets from explosive plays. Uh, you know, the problem is I don't know if this defense is going to be able to keep those explosive plays after watching that Tennessee game specifically. So I guess the question is, does Todd Munkin want to, you know, light up the cats with Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers underneath type stuff? The only play you can make here is the under, and if I did play it, it would be for a low low amount. But whenever the number one undefeated defending champs come to your place, uh, the bars will be pretty wild, so that would be fun to go Big out. Big deal. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next marquee game. Utah at Oregon. Oregon is a two-point home underdog now, over under 60. This game, massive implications for Pac-12, Pac-12 championship. Hopefully Curtis works okay for my Ohio futures because – I get that and see him go down. And then later that night, I'm hearing Bo Nix is going to be out for my Oregon futures. Which is why this line has gone from Oregon minus three to Utah minus two. It's not been confirmed that he's out, but that is the word. It was basically, you know, Oregon wouldn't want Utah to know that, but their wide receiver came out and, he was just because Knicks went down late in the game and then ended up coming back in. But they, during media interviews, someone asked their one of the Oregon wide receivers their his confidence level in backup Ty Thompson if Knicks can't go. And he said, obviously, Bo is down, so it's the next man up. And like then from there, right. uh, the markets just went wild. And uh, it's assumed that Knicks is going to be out. Maybe it's all a ploy, but uh, it looks like uh, Ty Thompson is going to get the start at quarterback. He is a very highly touted recruit, four-star kid, uh, can move, has a rocket arm, probably he projects as like a eventual, he's young. Uh, I don't know, maybe a second, third, fourth round pick if it all pans out. So he has a lot of talent. Um, the question is, how much of a drop-off is it? This is his first start. Like it's definitely going to be a big learning curve. At least he does get a week to practice with the ones. You can install some plays for him. But that's the crux of this handicap. 
I will say that if this line keeps going, I will give a serious look to Oregon. You know, I, I think this Utah team has flaws, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They also want to run the ball. Like, that's how everything starts. And they, that's, you don't want to do that against Oregon. Oregon's run defense is good. You just want to throw on them all day, which is why we like Washington. And they were able to move it, and Oregon's pass defense is horrific. But when I look at, you know, Utah, what they've done this year, against any teams with a pulse, and if they went to Florida and lost, mobile quarterback, Florida's defense is awful, by the way, but very good running team. They went, they played Oregon State at home. You know, they won 42-16. Oregon State had six turnovers. Their quarterback got hurt. They actually outgained Utah, one of the flukiest final scores of the year. They played USC. They won by one at home. Then, you know, they played Washington State. They had their backup quarterback. They didn't cover that game as well. So, like, I just, on the road, they've only played three road games, at Washington State, at UCLA, at Florida. And wasn't overly impressed in all of them. Their defense has issues, especially stopping the run. So can Oregon rely on the run here? There's also the, you know, the kind of the mystery of what are they going to do with Thompson? But I think Oregon will have success running the ball. And a lot of times in these one game scenarios, if your quarterback is out and you know it ahead of time, you know, a lot of times that quarterback plays over his head in the first game. There's no film on him, but everyone else steps up. Like you'll get, like, look at Arkansas last week. Look how their defense was insane. In a huge game, quarterbacks out against a really good opponent, but it's tough to project. Utah did embarrass Oregon twice last year, both away from Watson Stadium. This crowd should be wild. Tough, tough handicap here. What do you say? I don't think Bonex is in this game. Uh, you don't get a huge move like this. It's got to be more than just smoke. So let's just assume that he is out. I think we need to ask ourselves, what is Bo Nix worth to the spread for Oregon? Is this a Grayson McCall situation, who in my opinion is more than seven points, and you could think about it going all the way up to 10. Now, when you look at Ty Thompson, 20 passing attempts, no big-time throws, two interceptions. He had 14 attempts last year and two turnover-worthy plays. So he hasn't proven it through his arm yet, and he doesn't run whatsoever. He's had one scramble in his career. It went for two yards. And that's where Bo Nix is going to be missed the most. I mean, Nix is averaging 10 yards per scramble. He's had 510 yards on the season, 14 rushing touchdowns. No other player on Oregon has more than four rushing touchdowns. That is a monster loss. And Ty Thompson is not going to be able to replicate that. It's going to cut out half the playbook for Oregon. So when you go a little bit deeper into the injuries, offensive line, Ryan Walk, Alex yeah, Forsythe and guard. Yeah. And then when you get to the other side of the ball, I mean, the Utah handicap about what they're going to do, what Utah does, Oregon just hasn't seen. They run a heavy 12, 13. They've run 14 this year. They had four tight ends on the field. They use plenty of play action passing and they're going to use Dalton Kincaid as much as they can uh, left to right. Doesn't matter. Play action screens, whatever. And the Oregon defense is outside the top 100 and havoc and finishing drive. So even though they've been stout against running the ball, Everything else has kind of fallen off, and, and Oregon's defense is 128th and third down defense. That is a huge contrast to what Utah is going to be able to do. If Utah wants to make these 15-play drives and drain nine minutes a clock, they can do that. I've put in a bunch of bets on Utah, and Utah at plus was the play, but without Bo Nix and without the center, what's the number, Stuck? Is it four? Is it five? Is it seven? Is it ten? Bo Nix, you look at those rushing numbers, holy cow. I mean, you could combine all the other running backs they haven't put out that kind of production. To play devil's advocate, I, I would agree. And I, I think that Utah is the logical side. I've just seen in my life so many uh, one-off, the first game without the star quarterback, 
where everyone else steps up. They have all these special plays that aren't on film. Uh, so, and maybe going up against like more tight ends and more, you know, this different look will serve Oregon's defense better because they obviously can't cover receivers on the outside. And I don't think Utah is like a really great receiving core. So maybe it'll serve them better. Maybe I, I just think I look, I can't fault your handicap and who knows what you're going to get from Ty Thompson. I think Utah's the logical side, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm, my gut is telling me Oregon's going to find a way to win. Might not end well. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's stay in the Pac-12. Move on to our final market game. USC at UCLA. UCLA is a two and a half point home-ish underdog. It's really a neutral site in a way. Over under 77 and a half. Uh, I like UCLA here. I think that we're getting value because of UCLA's loss last week against Arizona. But if you look back, like USC should have lost to Oregon State. They're in battles with Cal. This defense is bad, and it's the run defense. And they can't stop anybody on the ground, and now you're going up against one of the most prolific rush attacks in all of college football. On the other side, I do think Travis Dye matters, especially from a depth perspective. There's going to be a shit ton of plays in this game. Um and their wide receivers might not be 100% healthy with Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. I think UCLA is the better overall team. Very similar teams here. You're going to be a ton of plays, really good quarterbacks, really good offensive lines, you know, and bad defenses. But uh, I think UCLA is going to have more success on the early downs, find a way to get a couple stops some passing downs and some negative plays. And that's it. That's really pretty much going to be the difference in this game. But I, I think the UCLA rushing attack goes off. DTR is a massive game. Uh, the Pac-12 bylaws state that USC must lose this game uh, due to the cannibal H, cannibalization clause that is uh, set in stone in the Pac-12 bylaws to ensure that no team from that conference ever makes it back to the college football playoff. What do you see here? Well, if, they, if USC does win this game, we're hammering Notre Dame the following week. Because, yes, those are the bylaws that uh, no Pac-12 team will ever one loss champion ever. And uh, the bylaws state that you this year, these are 2020 bylaws, that you always take Notre Dame as a dog and fade them as a favorite. So that's we'll, true. Well, bylaws coming together. And I don't think USC's seen, really seen a true mobile quarterback this year. But turnover regression, that, that's still coming too. That could be how UCLA gets a couple stops. USC's plus 17. Still best in the nation. UCLA is plus three. Uh, and for what it's worth, Chip Kelly's 16, eight and two against the spread as a conference underdog, covered by eight points per game. How about this? Nine, oh, and one against the spread as a short underdog in conference play. That's between one and three points. Nine, zero, and one against the spread. What do you say? If I put a play in on USC, I'm not going to have a play in the app on UCLA even though I have heavy money in this game on UCLA. And it's because I have USC under nine and a half wins on the season. And for anything, I should be betting USC to kind of hedge out of that win total ticket. So if you see a USC play come in during the game, because I'm possibly taking UCLA gets a, a two score lead and I'm trying to take the other side, you'll see that. So don't freak out if everybody sees that, but I agree. I, I love, I told Brett on the new BCS. I love the UCLA play. I am back on UCLA. Uh, both these offenses have two methods of explosive plays. UCLA is ground-based with DTR and Zach Charbonnet, and USC's defense allows first downs at one of the highest rates in all of FBS. USC is near dead last, allowing 30-yard gains on the ground. That's really good news for UCLA on offense. 
USC gets its explosive plays through the air after Caleb Williams scrambles. Are there going to be scrambles in this game? You bet there are, because UCLA is 18th in pass rush. They are going to flush Caleb Williams out of the pocket, and that's where he's going to try to do all his work. So assuming Bill McGovern, the defensive coordinator for UCLA, is smart enough to put a linebacker spy and that he can coach the secondary to stick with their assignments, that's the critical portion of beating USC here. So they're going to be able to flush Caleb Williams out, and it's going to come down to his playmaking ability. And there's going to be scoring on both sides, but I think when you look at a total this high and you look at the spread – you want to really assess, do these teams have quality drives at end of points or do they stop themselves? And that's where you can really fade USC. 108th in penalties. They love to take themselves out of drives. USC struggles in punt efficiency. That's great for UCLA field position. USC struggles in kickoff return efficiency. That's great for UCLA field position. Their, so, their special teams are bad. Yeah, real bad. You know, I'm not fading USC because they don't have Travis Dye. I think Austin Jones is a, is a fine replacement from any college football team having Austin Jones. Yeah, but there's going to be so many snaps. I think they're going to miss him from a depth perspective. Like, True, yeah. The depth, the depth is becoming a big problem on both sides of the ball for USC. So, yeah, you sail all the way here for me. Should be an exciting one to watch. All right, before we continue, as a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager, 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Let's go a little rapid fire here through some other games. Uh, we got to talk Bedlam. Not mm-hmm. as exciting as in years past, but Oklahoma State still has like some wild shot to get to the Big 12 title. They are seven and a half point underdogs at Oklahoma. Oklahoma still fighting for bowl eligibility. Uh, five and five. They This game in the Nat Texas Tech coming off a really bad loss against West Virginia, although it was a bit fluky. I mean, Gundy's been great as a dog, and this is a real dog number. Uh, Spencer Sanders is going to play. How healthy is he? The Oklahoma State is so flawed in so many ways. There's so many lucky wins. Um, man, I would lean Oklahoma here. Um, probably can lean on their ground game. I would assume against Oklahoma State's rush defense, which has not been good. But uh, not sure I'm going to get involved. You have a strong take here? Well, yeah, the number's too high. Like, this is the number of what it should be if Spencer Sanders wasn't playing. But Spencer Sanders came out and said, I'm playing in this game. And then when they asked Mike Gundy about it, Mike Gundy said he's in charge of whether or not he's playing, which 
makes total sense what happened in Iowa State, right? It wasn't Gundy holding him back. It's like, it, I guess Spencer Sanders is giving himself the green light and the red light, which is quite interesting. So, you know, although the Havoc numbers don't say it, these two teams are some of the best defenses and tackles for loss. So their overall Havoc numbers don't show up, but both these teams do get into the backfield quite a difference from a defensive side. And there's just a massive difference in run blocking here. OU is 14th, Oklahoma State is 113th. So definitely something there for the Sooners where they're not going to allow Oklahoma State to play in the backfield. And the question becomes then, can, can Dylan Gabriel have a clean game? He owns half of Oklahoma's fumbles this season. Big money came in, moved this from Oklahoma 6.5 up to 7.5. In my opinion, it should be like five. I mean, this is like a number that should be there if Spencer Sanders isn't playing, but he is playing. So now I'm kind of in limbo land where I want to play the Cowboys. I see everything you see. Defense is, you know, injuries, defense, inefficiency, a little bit of a smokescreen all season. But if Spencer Sanders is playing, they have a shot to win this game. Just think the number's too high. So now I've got to sit around and kind of wrestle with it for the next 48 hours. I'll tell you, I would not be betting Oklahoma State here. At seven and a half? No, nope, no chance. Yeah, you know, I need 14 and a half. <laughs> this is what happens with Oklahoma State. They either get t- t- destroyed, like by Kansas, True. Kansas State, or they win the most flukiest game of True. all time. This win, this win total, they should have about three wins on the year. Losing this win total is going to be miserable. They're going to go over uh, <laughs> on the last game against uh, West Virginia. One time, Neil Brown, one time for the justice of that ticket. guess I could hedge off but probably be an expensive hedge. But yeah, I, I think Oklahoma rolls, but I think everyone is going to roll Oklahoma State every week. All right, uh, Boise at Wyoming, massive game in the Mountain West. It's interesting that the, you know, the winner of this game will be in first place in the division, but Wyoming could then lose to Fresno next week, but Fresno not going to be playing anything. And then if Boise wins their game, then they would actually then jump back, re-jump Wyoming if they beat Utah State at home. Wyoming, 14-point home underdog here, over under, what, sitting at 43, 43 and a half. This game is in Laramie in November. So the first thing you have to do is check the weather and see if there's any updated weather. Not bad. Not bad winds. They're like 10, 11. Sometimes you can get some 30, 40-mile-an-hour winds in Laramie this time of year. Wyoming, a really, really fortunate win last week. What do you see here? I think the number is too high. It should be closer to 11 and a half, but there's fear for backing Wyoming in this spot. You know, I mean, from a Boise perspective, running back George Halani, quarterback Taylor Green, they've been a solid one-two punch. Green hasn't thrown an interception in three games, and Halani has seven touchdowns in his last three games. He's averaging 3.4 yards after contact. When you look at the Wyoming defense, 130th in tackle grading, I mean, Boise's not really an explosive offense, but at the same time, you give me 130th in tackle grading on defense, and you're going to be able to bust some runs. Four straight wins here uh, for for Wyoming, but they came again. I mean, think about this resume stuff. This is the whole problem with Mountain West plays. You just got these duds, right? Wyoming's four straight wins of Colorado State, Hawaii, Utah State, and New Mexico. Not exactly murderer's row here. Then you go and you look at Wyoming, and their quarterback not, might not even play. Andrew Peasley might not go in this game with an injury. He has more – double as many turnover-worthy plays as big-time throws. So you have to ask, is there like a, a real big jump to the backup? Jaden Clemens only has 13 passing attempts this season, so not a lot to base off of. But Wyoming's a rush-first offense. As I say all that, that Boise should win this game just from what Wyoming wants to do, how they can't tackle. Laramie has been a house of horrors for Boise State, like just historically. The Broncos have covered once in their last seven trips here. 
I, I, I don't believe, but then again, I don't think Wyoming's actually won this game in like 15 tries. Uh, so at the same time, Boise can't cover. They don't cover when they come to Laramie. So I think at 14 or higher, this is a play on Wyoming, but you're taking a defense that can't tackle and you're taking a backup quarterback. So I would, I'd be patient. If you're going to play it, I would just see if maybe a rogue 14 and a half comes out, but that's probably going to be on the news that you're getting a backup quarterback with no experience. Yeah. Yeah. Tough game, but Craig Bowl just finds ways to cover these types of games. I think it's Wyoming or nothing. Yeah. Uh, I have to mention, we have to mention Iowa at <laughs> Minnesota, which has uh big 10 West, which is a mess right now. Division implications. And the only reason I have to bring it up is because it is the lowest total of all time. The total is at the FPS level. It's 32 and a half. I don't know how any of these teams get to 32 and a half, but that's really low total to go under. Gun to your head, over or under? Over. Oh, I'm actually thinking about actually laying real cash money. $100. Just let it fly in the air. If I never see it again, fine. I mean, come on. 30, it's not even 30, 31 and a half. Come on. I don't want to hear about the weather. I mean, it's Iowa, Minnesota. They live in this shit for seven, eight months. Minnesota's got a great running game, and Iowa's not like world beaters. All their defensive line weighs like 260 pounds. I mean, these teams are going to get in scoring position. They're, I mean, 31 and a half, 32 points. Here's $100. Just float in the wind. I'm going to put it in the app, make it a half unit, go. Right? You joining me? No. Uh, I will not bet an Iowa Minnesota over Akron Buffalo. I just want to bring this up. I don't know if they're going to play this game. The unders at forty five. You would have saw if you follow me on the app. I bet it early in the week at a higher number. I still like it at forty five. I don't know if they're going to play Akron. And somehow going to have to get to Buffalo. I think they're shutting down the highways. This is not a snowbird. I talk about this in the NFL pod. You can have a lot of points if there's only like an inch or so on the ground, but this is projected like three to four feet. There, no one's going to be able to move, and everyone goes so slow. Either wipe the ball off, no one can communicate, no one can see. The, these games end like 10-7. Akron can't run the ball, the worst rush offense in the country. Buffalo can't run it. Both teams have secondaries you can exploit. DJ Irons is out, by the way, the Akron quarterback, it looks like. Their backup's terrible, can't move. How's that? The only offense Akron has is throwing it to their good receivers with Irons buying time behind the worst offensive line in, in college football. How they're going to move it in a blizzard? How how's Buffalo going to throw to their good receivers in a blizzard? Because Akron's run D is good, their pass D is horrific. Can't really take advantage of that and wins in a blizzard. If this game gets played, unless there's like you know a bunch of turnovers, it could be. It's the math. This game could end like eight nothing. San Jose State at Utah State. Uh, this game is trending towards a pick. It looks like Utah State's taking money. San Jose State's been bad of late. I think I saw you put a play in on Utah State. Do you like the Aggies here? Well, I love San Jose State. I backed them more than half this season, and Siobhan Cordero being the transfer, and now things have just fallen apart. They had a team, they had a teammate pass away. Uh, oh, yeah. They have they have not covered since. They haven't covered since. They Something's covered going close. on. Yeah, and so I can't look at the season long statistics. I can't look at Siobhan Cordero's box scores. There is something going on with the defense and the offense is inefficient and something's going on off field and I don't want to touch it. Meanwhile, Utah State's got that hunger for a bowl, right? Let's keep Blake Anderson employed and and everything's going to be happy. But no, I mean, from a box score perspective, San Jose State's really going to have a problem going after Utah State offensively what they want to do. And, and I'm not going to trust San Jose State on the road whatsoever. And I had a feeling that this would probably – Close with Utah State as a favorite, so I jumped in early on it. But I, I'm not going to play it back on San Jose State. All right, let's move on to some trash. 
What's that smell? It stinks. What do you mean? This trash. The sweet, sweet trash. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. I got five games. And my sixth is actually going to be when we go three and out, technically. But it's a favorite. Let's start uh, Boston College catching three touchdowns against Notre Dame. I'll give, and for those new here, I these have gone really well. We have, we have one more weekend, maybe two to survive a disaster Saturday, which can always happen. So make sure you bet responsibly, but it's been my best year by far betting trash. I think these have hit at 63% this year. So let's start BC catching three touchdowns. We talked about this earlier. I hinted at this earlier. Notre Dame, a pretty simple team. It appears they're young. They're inexperienced. First year head coach, they just play up and down their level of competition. Team lost to Stanford at home. <laughs> they lost to Marshall at home. They could have lost to Cal at home. They they're four and zero against the spread as an underdog. One and five against the spread as a favorite. Zero and five as a double digit favorite. Two outright losses and another pair of one possession victories. Also have USC on deck. Not a great spot. And Boston College has seemingly found a spark at quarterback with Emmett Moorhead, who I was like clowning a couple weeks ago. He's thrown for like 300 yards. He just threw 330 against NC State in a win. They won outright at NC State. I guess Phil Jerkovich was the problem. Their offensive line, they seem to have fixed a couple things. They obviously have talent at receiver. Too many points for Notre Dame. Too, too many points for Notre Dame to lay. I'm on BC here. Yeah, Notre Dame's not very good at covering uh, numbers this large. Uh, then again, you look at Notre Dame's coverage, they're 65th, pretty much mid-FBS, and they do give up explosive plays through the air. Hours. It's past EPA. So I, that's probably – I'm not saying everybody out there is is looking at these kinds of numbers, but that's probably why we've crossed through 21 and gone to 20 and a half. So you agree or disagree? You, I, does that mean I have to play it? No, you don't have to play it. You just agree. Do you agree? <laughs> no, I agree with you. Oh, it's, definitely, it's definitely the spot. It's definitely a spot. I'm just trying to – I've been pretty good at coming in and digging through your trash and taking the one or two that I like. And they've been paying yeah. off. So I'm trying to figure out which one here I'm going to take. Okay. Uh, here's one. Colorado State catching over three touchdowns against Air Force. Air Force always finds ways to cover against New Mexico. That's pretty much the only team that they consistently cover. It's against big favorites. This is a service academy. Laying a big number. Always going to look to fade. There's limited possessions in the game. Since 2005, service academies are 37, 57, and two when they're favored by more than two touchdowns, 40% when favored by more than three. And I think Colorado State is undervalued in the market right now. Millen has claimed, Clay Millen has come back, their quarterback. Their offense has figured it out, which you would expect. You know, you have a new coach, Norvell comes in and installs an entirely new offense, which is a 180 of a difference from their offense they ran last year. So you would expect as the season goes on, the offense would progress. They also had some backup quarterbacks that were just completely incompetent. But look, over the past two games, they lost 28-16 to San Jose State. They outgained San Jose State 468 to 355. Yards per play, 6.7 to 5.6 in favor of Colorado State. And then they played Wyoming, 90% postgame win expectancy, outgained Wyoming 372 to 236. 6.3 to 4.5 yards per play. This team's moving the ball. And how do you move – and they want to throw it. It's an air raid. How do you move the ball against the Air Force? You have to attack their secondary. Torrey Horton is one of the best receivers at the group of five level. I think he'll have some explosive plays. But this Colorado State offense is trending in the right direction. They're playing hard. It's This is Colorado State. Yeah, this one I'm going to pass on. At 24, you'd have me buying. I think it's not rich enough for me yet. There are just numbers – 
I think everybody loves it when I say it. Service Academy trenches. I love to look at them. There's just not enough there in Colorado State for me to back it. All right, next one, we're going to stay with another gross Colorado team on their own. We're going to back Colorado, the app, the awful dumpster fire, the absolute bottom of the barrel in Power 5. I'll also tell you that – by the way, we didn't mention this earlier. Cincinnati, uh, 0-5 against the spread on the road. I think you mentioned that, actually. Colorado also is 0-5. They're the two least profitable teams on the road in college football. It's also scary back in Colorado on the road. Since 2005, this is stunning. Since 2005, no team has been less profitable on the road than Colorado, who gets like a huge altitude advantage. I don't, same thing in college basketball, by the way, if you look at their splits. Since 2005, it's 31 and 60 against the spread on the road, 34%, failing to cover by four points per game. That is insane. They're also one in six against the spread as an underdog of 30 plus points on the road over that span. But we're backing them. Just to complete, hold your nose spot. Look, Washington just beat Oregon. Massive win. They have Washington State and the Apple Cup on deck. Colorado has some semblance of a rushing attack. And Washington's defense is just so bad that I don't think that they should be laying 31 in this spot with that defense. Colorado's an extra day of preparation. I think that they can control the ball a little bit. They're not going to get any stops when Washington has it. I'll take the 31. I say that they cover. They lose this game by 24 to 27. This classic sandwich spot. Sandwiches. 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 And these are the strangest looking sandwiches I've ever seen. Well, Washington does give up a lot of pass explosiveness. They're outside the top 100 in defensive pass EPA. So that is a feather in the cap. But the problem that I have with this is that Washington is third nationally in finishing drives on offense and Colorado is dead last defensively. Now, we also, you were mentioning teams that haven't covered on the road at all. Colorado has gone over the total in every game on the road this season. That could be defensive or it could be that they're helping out on offense. Uh, the better play for me in this is taking the over. I don't see how Washington doesn't end with a touchdown on every single drive. And if Colorado is successful on offense, which they should be looking at these numbers, Washington doesn't create havoc. They don't defend the pass. They allow a lot of teams to get up and down the field. To me, it's more of an overplay than back in Colorado, but I'm, I'm, I'll have action on this. All right. And then we're going to go Vandy. I'm going to go back to Vandy catching two touchdowns at home against Florida. Not a great spot for Florida. Vandy, uh, you know, they're, they've clinched a bowl, Florida. They have Florida State on deck. Vanderbilt's run D is much better than its past D. Its secondary is really bad. That's good against Florida, one of the best rushing offenses in the country. On the other side of the ball, the Gators don't get much pressure, similar to Kentucky. That's what Mike Wright needs if he's going to be starting again. He's actually pretty good when he's not under pressure. He's horrific when he is under pressure. But I just think this number is a bit too high for a Florida team that is O for its last eight against the spread as a road favorite, failing to cover by 14 points per game. They've lost four consecutive games on the road as a favorite outright, all as over a touchdown favorite. Vandy keeps this close. They're feisty. They're still fighting. Yeah, I like this one. I like Vandy. I'd rather have 14 and a half rather than 14. There is a 14 and a half out there on the board. So I might be scooping that now as we're doing this podcast. But uh, yeah, I have 14 and a half as well. Uh, yep. we play it down to 14. Yep. They're still fighting hard. And, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, it's just Clarkley. It's just a replication of Clarkley. They're, they're not going to give up at any, at any time. We know that in time, Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. 
but Florida is 130th in passing down success rate on defense. They they allow everybody to convert a first down uh, in long downs and distances. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I like Bandy here. Trying to avenge an embarrassing 42 nothing loss to Florida last year. And one last time, final trash of the week. One last time, we're traveling to Club Lit, baby. <laughs> oh, wow. you got to be shitting me. <laughs> Regular season finale for Chris Reynolds, Victor Tucker, Watt, their defensive end, Watts, who have been here with the program since 2018. This is their last game. It's Charlotte's last game of the season. They're trying to get their first home win of the season. I, I think they're going to show up here. This is really important for a lot of these seniors who have been through ups and downs of this program and uh, have seen the club burn down, get rebuilt, and uh, went through COVID. And look, Charlotte's defense is horrendous. It's played a little better since they fired Will Healy. I actually have Louisiana Tech's defense rated below. These are two bottom five defenses in the country. Who Who's the better offense? Charlotte. Because you know why? I mean, Charlotte has a pretty good offense regardless. Louisiana Tech starting their backup quarterback here. And that is a massive drop-off from Parker McNeil to your boy Liddy. And this is a bad spot for Louisiana Tech as well. Last week's loss took them out of bowl eligibility. This game's sandwiched in between UTSA and UAB. They're going to lowly Charlotte in the afternoon. This is club lit. We are back. We are dancing. One last time in the club. Club lit, baby. Uh, by the way, over the past two seasons, Louisiana Tech 0-4 against the spread as a road favorite, failing to cover by 13 points per game. They lost them all outright against conference foes. I think Charlotte should be a three-point favorite here. Louisiana Tech's covered just once on the road this year, and you're right. I'm looking at the numbers uh, up against each other, and Charlotte's offense is is light years beyond Louisiana Tech's offense. And then when you look at the crossover, it's things like Charlotte's – And Liddy's starting too. Liddy, who lost that FIU outright. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Charlotte's top 50 in things like line yards, rushing success rate, passing success. And then you look at Louisiana's defense, which has the same strength of schedule as Charlotte, opponent-adjusted strength of schedule. And they're like 113th defensively in line yards. They're 128th in tackling. Like, it just life. Five five dudes. Yeah, it's it's terrible. So, yeah, I'm with you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to throw some money on it right now. Club lit. Everyone in the club. And by the way, Charlotte should have won last week. They, they gave up two non-offensive touchdowns. Their, their special teams stinks. They got to avoid special teams penalties. But uh, Victor Tucker, the receiver, should be back, I assume. He, he missed last game. One final order of business. Let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right. Let's start off with our favorite bet of the week. I will kick things off. Let's not rocket science, people. Let's, we're going back to the well with Navy, the troops. This is at 11 a.m. Eastern. Make sure you get this bet in and don't get caught at 11.30 like I did before. Uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, Navy at UCF, catching, I think, 16 now. Like this down to 15, 15 and a half. I did a bad spot for UCF. They just need one more win. They're going to be in the conference title game, but they're just coming off back-to-back massive road wins, which followed that Cincinnati game. And Navy, what do they do this year? Though they cover on the road. They're 5-0 and against the spread on the road. And... They and they weren't against cupcakes, by the way. They were against really good teams. They closed at least 12 and a half point underdogs in all five games away from home. They lost by three, three, one by three, lost by six, and lost by 10. They've been in every single game. This team will fight until the end. It's a service academy catching over two touchdowns 41, 22, and two against the spread, 65% since 2005, covering by five points per game, limited possessions. 
You also might get their third string quarterback here, Masai Maynard. He actually has a pretty good arm, which is how you can attack UCF. So I think they might be able to hit some explosive passing plays. And how do you slow down UCF? You correctly had a handicap last week that Tulane's run D was vulnerable. No one has ran it on Navy all year. Top 10 yards per rush, line yards, top 25 opportunity rate, top 10 power success rate, stuff rate, EPA per rush, rush success rate. This run D is real. And that is how you slow down a UCF run-heavy team, plumbly running it, that sets up the pass. The Navy secondary is awful. But just like Notre Dame, I don't think UCF is really going to fully exploit those weaknesses all game. Navy stays within this number. Navy pulls off the outright upset. The troops at 11 a.m. Yeah, I'm going to go with Baylor plus two and a half. Probably the best spot on the board is going up against TCU the week after they go down to Austin, lock up a Big 12 championship game spot. Not only that, there's a bunch of recruits, a bunch of players on TCU's roster that didn't get recruited or got shunned by Texas and are not Longhorns right now. Every kid in the state of Texas usually wants to play for Texas, and that was a big win for them, not to mention they beat their old coach, the coach that recruited them too. Fort Worth. So it's a big letdown spot. And Sonny Dykes mentioned in his presser this week, we've played a serious number of games in a row. Uh, and, it, you know, at some point, it's going to take its toll. So when you look at Dave Aranda, he has been great off of a loss. Baylor coming off of a loss here. Dave Aranda's 4-1 against the spread after uh, getting his team to respond after they take a loss. And the Bears' rush explosiveness is what really makes it here from a technical standpoint. True freshman Richard Reese is one of the most explosive backs and all of the Big 12, he has 13 TDs on the season. Uh, and that has just been an issue all year for TCU on the defensive side is allowing ground explosiveness. And then finally, Blake Shapin, he's not going to have a problem with this 3-3-5 stack that Joe Gillespie calls. He saw before with Iowa State. He had three touchdowns that day and no interceptions. Look for Blake Shapin to rebound, have a good day here. Look for TCU, probably in the toughest spot they've had all season here playing against Baylor. All right, let's move on to second down, our favorite overdog. For those new here, that's our favorite, favorite. Uh, I'll kick things off. I'm going to catch the falling knife. The team I've been fading until the cows come home, Jimbo Fisher. I just saw the cows in my backyard. Maybe it was my pit bull, but I think it was the cows. I'm laying 33 with Texas A&M against UMass. UMass third straight road game for what it's worth, by the way. Since 2005, non-conference dogs of three touchdowns or more uh, on the, in their third straight road game, 23-38 against the spread, 37%. Teams, these teams that are in the spot, usually very bad, not a lot of depth, tough spot for UMass. And I just think, now it all depends if Texas A&M decides to show up. They might get Achene back. They might get their uh, their receiver should be back. and got suspended for like having the wrong sleeve on last week. Should be a little healthier. They're getting over a flu bout. But this number, I think, should be closer to 40. UMass is just going to be severely overmatched from a talent gap perspective. I just think that this is the game where Texas A&M has just been hearing shit all year long that they're going to want to go out and take out their frustrations on one of the worst teams, if not the worst in the country. Texas A&M will get out in the field, care, and blow UMass out of the water. If they do, UMass shouldn't score, and Texas A&M should at least get to like 45. So uh, give me Texas A&M. If they don't care and they come out flat, this will look horrific. But I'm counting on catching the falling knife here. 
I'm waiting on that Jimbo victory lap after he uh, beats uh, UMass by 60. Uh, I'm going to go with UNLV is my favorite overdog here. It's a must win for UNLV fighting to get it. They've got four wins right now. They need to get to bowl season. And yeah, they're favored by, you know, double digits here. But the return of Doug Brumfeld has produced three straight covers against Fresno, San Diego State, and Notre Dame. I mean, these are top quality teams for what they have on their schedule. And Aiden Robinson at Robbins at running back has just been an animal. 250 rushing yards the last two against the San Diego State defense and Fresno. He's averaged four yards after carry. He is fresh and just banging in the trench. Hawaii has been, <laughs> it's getting worse for Tibby Chang. 128th strength of schedule with poor ranks on rush defense, 125th in line yards, 110th in stuff rate. What does that mean? Hawaii's not plugging holes. They're not keeping contained and they're allowing teams to run all over them. That's they a gave bad- 45 to New Mexico State. Yeah, that's hard to do. That's really hard. I think would you and I give up 45 to New Mexico State? But no. yeah, I mean, the Warriors are not generating any pass rush right now. They're a bottom 15 coverage unit when Doug Brumfield does decide that he wants to take to the air. And also there's just a huge tackling discrepancy here. UNLV has much better fundamentals when it comes to that. And you can't trust Hawaii. 17 fumbles on the season. It's tough. Braden Shager has been really tough with the ball, a quarterback for Hawaii. Nine turnover worthy plays in his past four games. Let's take UNLV to cover a big number. I like this one. You're going to get this one. I'll probably join you. All right, let's move on to our final order of business, and that is third down, our favorite Moneyline underdog. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Uh, I'll kick things off. I'm going to go with UCLA. I think they're the better team. I think they're Rush offense should absolutely dominate. They should stay ahead of the chains all game long, hit a bunch of explosive plays. And I think that they'll just create enough negative plays on the defensive side of the ball to get a few stops, potential looming turnover regression for USC. And I think UCLA gets this win. I think we're getting some value after their loss last week. I think they're the better team. USC's defense gets exposed here. Should be a shootout, but I think UCLA pulls it out. Give me the Bruins. Where are you going? I'm going to go with my Arkansas Razorbacks. Woo. Yeah. Nick Suey. Woo, Pig Suey. At home against Ole Miss and Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium, a place where Ole Miss has gone to lose for two decades now. Doesn't matter if it's Hugh Freeze or Houston Nut. There's a lot of losses for the Rebels going on here. KJ Jefferson is coming back to play. I doubt he's going to throw much. He's got a separated shoulder, which is the rumor out on the streets, which means he is just going to be in there to take hits on his body and run the ball and hand it off to Raheem Sanders. I love Arkansas in this spot. It's going to be cold. We're going to see how Lane Kiffin feels about his enthusiasm in this game after losing to Alabama. Hogs are going to get bowl eligible in this game. Perfect. Love it. Let's go, Hogs. That'll do it for us. Thanks, as always, to all of you for listening and supporting the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Colin for joining me and to our audio and video teams on the back end, especially producer Matt Mitchell. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Leave a review. They help us a ton. Five-star review. You can even say bad things about us. And make sure you call the voicemail, 959-BAD-BEAT. Best call of the week. It's a cash prize for me. Announce those on the recap pod on Monday. We'll be back Saturday morning. Big bets on campus live, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We'll go through our favorite bets and cover uh, update information on the college football slate. Make sure you tune in there. We'll tweet out the links. Big bets on campus, wherever you listen to podcasts. Appreciate all of your support. 
Let's have another big weekend. Only so many of these Saturdays left. Cherish them. Let's keep it rolling. Catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. <laughs>